evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to OCA's Asia Town Voice. We're an hour-long nonprofit program on WJCU's 88.7 FM radio. We're on every Sunday from 7 to 8 p.m. This hour-long program provides you with an inside look at the Asian American and Pacific Islander Americans community, culture, education, and events going on in Northeast Ohio. OCA's Asia Town Voice is volunteer-based, and we hope that you, the listener, will enjoy our program and give your support to WJCU. This way, we can continue to provide many voices with many choices to you. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Yin Tang, also known as DJ Bossy Lady. Bossy and Bossy. Uh, <laughs> I almost called myself Ghost Host. Also <laughs> on air. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. changing my name. <laughs> Also on air with us uh, briefly today would be the ghost host, Johnny Woo. And once again, we want to thank Johnny for letting us uh, use his studio equipment for recording the um, Asia Town Voice for WJCU. Uh, I'm sorry, OCA's Asia Town Voice for WJCU. And uh, missing today is DJ Lexicon. Um, And also, we were discussing this before we went on air, but ladies and gentlemen, if this is your first time tuning in, I must explain why Johnny is the ghost host. Johnny sometimes likes to disappear in the thin air and just float around in the ethereal realm, and we have no idea where he is. Um, no, that's not entirely true. Okay, so truthfully, Johnny is in his studio, and he uh, does video. Um, what, what, what kind of, I don't know, I call you a filmmaker? Well, it, that would be my uh, official title, but basically being, I make movies, uh, branding, um, video productions for commercials and such. So he's also he's always in the process of production, um, not only for this show, but sometimes his projects overlap. So he disappears sometimes, and we have no idea where he is until he floats back in and randomly like overhears mm. our conversation, says something. But without further ado, I would like to introduce our guest today, all the way from Missouri. So Parvada, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. No problem. And the reason we decided. Um, well, first of all, you're awesome. I mean, all your Facebook posts are Aww, awesome. Thanks. And I'm very flattered to actually be able to speak with you and sort of in person over Skype. So, <laughs> <laughs> But we also wanted to um, get somebody's perspective who's outside of Cleveland, Ohio, mm-hmm. and ask them what they think of our humble little city. Well, Cleveland, Ohio is... It's still very unfamiliar to me, and the only part of Ohio I'm familiar with even ever so slightly is Mason, uh, because as you know, my sister used to live there uh, for business reasons for a very short time. And um, but Cleveland, in my mind, is a pretty big city, pretty cold. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) Great Lakes. So, um, but uh, the time I spent in Mason, Ohio, maybe a week or so, I thought the whole place was just gorgeous. And I came there during uh, the summertime and um, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. And people were very, very nice. And I'm not sure if it's like an entire Ohio thing or if it was just Mason, Ohio. Yes, I enjoyed it. People, yes. People say, um, you know, Ohioans are nice, but I've mm-hmm. had a few unpleasant ones. So. I, I'm sure that's what makes the nicer ones nicer still. So, yeah. <laughs> so did you when you flew to Mason, I'm assuming you flew. Mm-hmm. Um, did you fly to Cincinnati or did you fly to Dayton? Uh, I fly to Cincinnati. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My husband yeah. was there for a few years. Yes. Friends there. Um, uh-huh. Yes, he does like to wear a frog suit. And yes, he really has a frog suit. Uh, <laughs> For our listeners who um, are just tuning in, um, I mentioned once before I have an alter ego of sorts. I have a pen name. It's Ava Rice. And Ava has these little comics that she did for a little bit last year. And one of the starring characters was her husband, Randall, who has a frog suit. And he really does have a frog suit. So (laughs) as the story goes, he was kind of my frog prince. So that's... uh, so then I bought him a frog onesie, and he really likes it. But do not ever tell him I said this on air, or he's going to be so mad. So, <laughs> but I was also curious if you flew to Dayton, because they have an aviation or um, air, aerospace museum there. And uh-huh. I heard that's where they took all the alien spacecrafts from Area 51. Ah, no, I did not know that. So next time I should go and visit. <laughs> yeah. Well, I went to the museum, and I didn't see any UFOs. So I was kind okay. of... <laughs> so you might not see anything. Um, but there might be some secret uh, storage facilities there. You never know. You never know. <laughs> Not open to the public. So <laughs> when you think of Cleveland, Ohio, um, do you 
what do you think the Asian population is like? Well, until I saw your posts on Facebook through the uh, dance uh, web page, I was not at all aware that there is such a huge population of Asians, you know, in Ohio. I don't know. You just never think about Ohio being, right. uh, you know, uh, I don't know, such diverse place, I think. And it's my own, I think, stereotyping in my own head. But um, I was kind of surprised. And uh, I think Miley... Um, also happy by it that there are places on this planet where people exist that I don't know exist you know <laughs> so yes what is the uh, Asian population like in um you live in Union Missouri I live in Union Missouri I myself and then another uh medical doctor are the only Asians I know in Union Missouri oh. uh but that doesn't that, that that does not mean that there aren't others, but you know I don't get to meet them because they don't either work with me or they don't treat me or they don't have money for me for my projects, whatever. Not so. Yeah. <laughs> I gotcha. Um, <laughs> so, well, you know, to be honest, I I think that part of our Cleveland um, Asian. Uh, I don't know what to refer to them like communities. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Different Asian mm -hmm. communities. Mm -hmm. I was not aware there were so many until we started doing the Cleveland Asian festival. Mm -hmm. Now I know that um, OCA, the organization of for community advocacy, um, they do a lot and they're linked in with a lot of these communities, but I, myself, I, I pretty much stayed within the Chinese community and that's mm -hmm. where I did most of the Chinese dance and that's how I got started. Mm -hmm. But and, you know, I performed with other community um, dance or music groups, but I didn't realize exactly to which extent um, there were different varieties of communities in, in Cleveland. Like, there's oh. the Hmong group, and um, Hmong, they're people without a country. They're, they're a ethnic group that live in Asia. And mm -hmm. then there's the Kavran group as well, which I was surprised to learn that we have in Cleveland. And this is, it's almost like, I don't know, it's like a little secret treasure of culture <laughs> you know, when, I'm going to talk when about I visit St. Louis it's 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 a lot of um my of course my eyes uh, I think um alight to and my brain locks in on whom I think are Indian descendants you know but I'm pretty sure that there are other ethnic groups in St. Louis and it's a pretty diverse place you know um yeah but Union Missouri is a still I I think of it as a small town mm -hmm. and most people get surprised to see me around here because they don't think that people could move in and work in a small town America kind of deal. Uh -huh. So yeah, yeah. So I'm still exotic to this place. So what <laughs> what is your experience like? I mean, you said you've been in, in the U.S. for 16 years. Mm -hmm. um, what was your earliest uh, experience like as an immigrant? Well, I think it's it's kind of pretty typical of someone who comes here for their graduate studies. You know, you come into a university and I think I'm kind of like generalizing here, but I think wherever you are, most universities have their own uh, culture. And most people who work in universities are pretty accepting of international students because that's kind of um, their thing. You know, at least at the graduate program, you do see a lot of people um, uh, from other cultures. Uh, so I went to Tennessee Tech, which is in Cookville, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a typical university town. And at the time I went to Tennessee, there was a huge Indian population and they mostly were uh, in the engineering and business programs. And I was um, kind of, uh, it was unique for people to have uh, someone in biological sciences attend school there from, um, you know, another country. So myself and another girl were the only ones in the department. But I, I think the long and short of it is, um, the people who lived in Cookville, Tennessee, were um, so welcoming and accepting that I never felt like I really needed to go out and find birds of the same feather, if that makes oh, any sense at yeah, all. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, they they were um, very open to concepts. So questions when asked were very non-judgmental and, you know, they were very open to me asking them questions. And at the end of the day, um, uh, differences didn't uh, matter because there were a lot of similarities, you know, just from a friendship point of view, I guess. Um, so my experience in Cookville, Tennessee was uh, fantastic. And then um, I moved here to Missouri. And I think if there were any issues at all, I didn't notice them because I was so busy with my job and trying to keep it <laughs> and <laughs> being good at it. So 
I kind of live in my own shell and it takes a while for me to come out of it and notice things around me. So um, so to answer your question, my experience uh, living here has been, um, I, I think, atypical in ways that um, that I don't feel at all discriminated against or I'm living in a foreign country, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, that's yeah. actually that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, we actually have not heard any bad stories or any horrible bad stories. I mean, mm -hmm. there's there's like cute little minute differences. For example, um, it, it was actually another Indian woman on our show. She was telling a story about uh, she was also doing her graduate studies. And there was a math question um, concerning on how many two by fours it would take to build a structure. And she had no idea what was a two by four. Two by four. So, yeah, she's like, but is this math? Is it math within math? So, you know, just little things like that. And, you know, she had to ask, of course, and people, they, they were kind of explained, but mm -hmm. oh, do you have any stories like that? Well, um, well, the, the, well, there are a lot of small stories like that. For example, uh, you know, learning to say Wednesday without the D, uh, you know, was a kind of a little confusing for me because I'm like, why, why don't you say the D? Because in India, at least the part of India I come from, it's Wednesday, um, you know, and it's uh, so th things such as that. When I started teaching here for the first time, um, um, in, in one of my classes, a student came up to me at the end of the class and she said, just so you don't sound too bad saying this, uh, say oh. often, don't say often. And I said, why? And uh, the student said, because you sound like an uneducated person when you say often. <laughs> and I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, wow. oh, my God, in school back in India, I went to a Catholic school and was English medium. And um, I used to say often because I wanted to learn how to spell it correctly. Uh, but we were supposed to not say the T. And so I got into a lot of trouble uh, getting caught saying often instead of often. Um, so I thought, well, isn't it weird that in India they thought that I sounded uneducated if I said often? <laughs> you know, I actually did the same thing. Right. Um, but, yeah. But I came to America when I was three years old, so I got away mm -hmm. with a lot more. <laughs> that, that's true. That's yeah. true. Um, when I was at Tennessee Tech, things such as in India, the plastic bags we use here, shopping bags, they're called polyethylene bags, you know, so we just say polythene bags. And over here, you don't say polythene bags, and nobody would get you if you said polythene bags. <laughs> and ordering food in a restaurant, it's you know, to go. And in India, they would say, uh, I want a parcel of it, you know. Oh. So at Tennessee Tech, I used to find the longest line in the cafeteria, stand behind everybody and watch them and see how they ordered food and would just follow. <laughs> you that know? is very clever. Uh, yeah. So uh, those kind of differences and um, cultural differences, like minor things, you know, I was uh, mentioning to someone today, it took me a long time to come to terms with the fact that when you told a baby, oh, you're such a cute little monkey, it's actually a cute, enduring term. Mm -hmm. In India, they would take a lot of offense to it. <laughs> really? Yes, yes. You're not supposed to, oh, 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 can you, can you explain? Well, because, you know, I don't, I don't know, I, I can't even remember anymore the emotional aspect behind it, because I think I got used to it. You know what I mean? So um, in India, you don't call somebody, I, I think they would call somebody a monkey because it's a derogatory term, you know? Um, so over here, I was ready to watch one woman punch the other woman because the other woman said, you know, oh, your baby's such a cute little monkey. And then nothing happened. And that was very surprising oh. to me. <laughs> That's actually so things like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you remember that whole, uh, I don't know if you watch basketball or not, um, I can't remember which team, I think he's from California, but there was a basketball player, DeMarcus Cousins, mm -hmm. and he got offended for a game in February because the um, the arena was celebrating Chinese New Year, and they it's the year of the monkey this year, so they had t-shirts saying celebrating the year of the monkey, and mm -hmm. he got offended because it was supposed to be Black History Month, and he saw it as oh. something derogative as opposed mm -hmm. to something mm -hmm. that's cultural because I mean it's not directive to call somebody a monkey in China at least no, I, don't I don't think, think so. so yeah, yeah uh -huh. I mean I, I've never thought of it as being derogatory so that was the first mm -hmm. time that um mm -hmm. I, I saw that as possibly and this is the second time so that's very the second time yeah yeah mm -hmm. but you know I'm surprised because uh, I know I know a couple of Indian mythologies I know Hanuman is seen as a god 
Yes. You know, isn't that a contradiction though? So that's what Indian culture is. It's a lot of contradictory ideas. As a God, you can be, you can have a monkey face, but as a human, you can. I I guess not. Uh, I Mm -hmm. guess I'm going to be curious to research this. Yeah. And And I'm pretty sure it's not, it might not be the same way all through India either. You know, so I come from the Southern part of India, specific state called um, Tamil Nadu. And I can't even say that applies to the entire state mm-hmm. population of Tamil Nadu. You know, it's maybe just the people I grew up with, you know, and interacted with when I was in India. Yeah. Speaking of Tamil, um, <laughs> <laughs> I know I said I really wanted to ask you a ton of questions. But funny enough, last week we interviewed um, uh, her name is Shujata Srinivasan and her daughter Shriya. And uh-huh. they're they're of Tamil descent as well. And they do um, Bharatanatyam. I think that's uh-huh, uh-huh, did I class. pronounce that yes. right? Uh huh. You did. You did. I'm impressed. It's pretty amazing, and uh, it's, apparently it's a historic and one of the oldest forms of dance in the world. Uh, oh. I was very happy to learn that. And mm-hmm. we kind of went off on a tangent, and they were telling us a little bit about the Tamil language because um, her daughter Shriya actually studies it, mm-hmm. and her, has studied it, and she was explaining how the consonants have one letter or one character. And Mm -hmm. vowels have another character, but then you can merge them together to make a completely new character with a new sound. (laughs) Is that true? Yes, you can. It's very true. Yes, yes. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense (laughs) for someone who hasn't studied it. But yes, it's very, very true. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like my name, if you spelled it in uh, Tamar versus English, it's longer in English than it's in Tamar, you know? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So for, say, Parvada, so for the pa sound, we have a P and an A. It's just one letter in Tamar, you know. So uh, we used to do an international day here, and one of my contributions to it was to do henna on little bitty, uh, you know, kids' hands and then to write their name in my native language. And, of course, here is this nice, long English name, and then I would write it in three letters, and they would be like, that's it? And I'm like, you want me to write more? But that's your name. Yeah. Write something else. <laughs> like maybe put an adjective, like smiley exactly, Elizabeth. Exactly, <laughs> you know, George is great or something like that. So, yeah, so um, it, it never occurred to me that... Um, those kind of combinations we have in Tamar do makes make for pretty unique ways of writing, I guess, I haven't come across in the languages I know. Yeah. So how difficult would it be to learn the language? Uh, Tamar? Yeah. I think it will be as difficult as English if you're starting off pretty late, you know what I mean? But when you grow up with it, and people who um, have lived in Tamil Nadu, but who uh, for whom the um, mother tongue isn't Tamil, uh, they learn it pretty fast. You know what I mean? So I think mm-hmm. it's it's pretty um, easy to learn it. Vocabulary might be a little different because um, my mom always made fun of my sister and I that <laughs> we uh, knew our English better than our Tamar uh-huh. because we took Tamar as a second language in our school. So English was the first language. It was an English medium school, you know. Uh, Tamar was, so she she always kind of uh, griped about it that uh, we knew our English better than our Tamar. Um, uh-huh. Yes, because for the na sound in Tamar, there are three different na's in Tamar, and then there are a whole host of laws and rules that goes with it i'm surprised i still even remember those things so um so it 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 takes a while even for a diehard tamilian to learn it and remember those things i mean english is not devoid of those kind of confusing things you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so yeah if if all the stuff I see posted on social media is anything to go by. I'm like, oh my God, get this straight already kind of deal. So <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I've been spending a lot of time with language in the last couple months. I mm-hmm. pretty much disappeared off Facebook compared to how much I used to be on. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 But tell me a little bit about your education in India. You said you went to a private school, uh, a Catholic school. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, let me go off on a tangent. How big is Catholicism in India? How big is the, excuse me, what was that? Catholicism? Uh, well, it's it's one of uh, the minor religions in India. Well, uh, the deal is uh, Hinduism is supposed to be the major religion in terms of the populace that, you know, observes it. 
um, Christianity and Islam are considered uh, minor religions just because of the number of people that represent it. And uh, Catholicism is um, pretty widespread, you know, so and Catholic schools are um, some of the most, um, I don't know, at least my parents' um, idea of Catholic schools were they were well run and well managed and 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 you know well disciplined because you did prayers every day and you know and people would ask my mom you know aren't you worried that these children are praying to Jesus every day so they would convert uh, to Christianity and my mom's answer was as long as they are afraid of some God fine with it so (laughs) that's actually a very good answer (laughs) you know so at least at the place where I grew up one of the best schools was a Catholic school so it was an academic decision for my parents that you know um, and it was also a school that they had all the grades from kindergarten to 12th grade Hmm. so my parents the decision was okay once you got them admitted in kindergarten unless and until they get or something they can stay there they don't have to go shopping for a new school you know uh, every five years or so so um, they made that decision to uh, send us to a catholic school yeah did you have to test into every um, school for example i'm thinking about in asia um, Mm -hmm. you have to take entrance exams for what would be middle school and then high school and also college now did Mm -hmm. you have to do that or just Um, I'm not well. At least when um, I lived in India, I wasn't aware that such things existed. But I'm pretty sure, uh, pretty um, schools in the higher, you know, crust uh, might have some uh, entrance requirements such as that. But going from high school to college, um, there is always an entrance exam. There is no open admission, as far as I know, in okay. Tamil Nadu. Um, so I know that you have to do that. But um, and uh, going from school to high school if somebody were to switch schools I think it it's based on if they have an opening for you or not and if you can pay the fees or not hmm. I think that's what it is yeah yeah Welcome back to OCA's Asia Town Voice. We're an hour-long nonprofit program on WJCU's 88.7 FM radio. We're on every Sunday from 7 to 8 p.m. This hour-long program provides you with an inside look at the Asian American and Pacific Islander Americans' community, culture, education, and events going on in Northeast Ohio. OCA's Asia Town Voice is volunteer-based, and we hope that you, the listener, will enjoy our program and give your support to WJCU. This way, we can continue to provide many voices with many choices to you. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am Yin Tang, also known as DJ Bossy Lady. Uh, this lovely name was bestowed upon me by DJ Lexicon, who sadly cannot make it tonight. Um, he's moved to Chicago and sometimes works late. And, uh, yeah, I bossed him around a lot, so it's kind of like his uh, pushback. So, <laughs> Johnny Woo, the ghost host, is also somewhere hovering on the show. Sometimes he uh, he does a lot of production, so he does disappear from time to time if something calls. And our special guest today is Parvada, joining us from Union, Missouri. And um, your last name, let me try it. All right, let me see it spelled out first. Do it. <laughs> I'm going to see. I got to see it spelled out. Go. Govindaswamy? You got it. Oh my goodness, yes! 
something I try really hard on is pronunciation. And I do confess that there are vocabulary words that I completely mispronounce because I've never heard them spoken. I've mm-hmm. seen them written. You read, mm-hmm. read my Facebook post. Yeah. <laughs> so, since we just returned back from the break, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go ahead and do our events corner. We're going to keep it short this week. And the first one I have on my list is the International Hall of Fame Dinner. For those of you Clevelanders, Millie and Debbie Hansen, this is the ClevelandPeople.com event. And what it is, is it recognizes senior members of the international community who spend their lifetime uh, performing achievements and things that deserve recognition in the Cleveland international community. Uh, a lot of people, you know, our show is Asia Town Voice, so we talk mostly about the Asian community, but, you know, right down the street from Asia Town is this huge Slovenian community as well. In fact, the largest in Ohio or the United States. Somebody please fact check that. <laughs> I believe it is definitely the largest one in Ohio, though, of course. Um, and we like to give recognition and give a shout out because the international community does like to support each other. And we will love to continue that. Um, a little bit of side note. If you are a student of St. Joan of Arc in Chagrin Falls, you will be witnessing and Tang Dan. And yes, I can karate during a short demo around noon for your uh, school event. And last but not least, um, we have the Cleveland. Festival coming on the 21st to 22nd. For those of you who have never been there before, why not? I'm just joking. Sort of. You should be there. <laughs> and for those of you who are not familiar with the Cleveland Festival, it takes place around Asia Plaza. If you need an address for your GPS, that's 2999 Payne Avenue. We shut down between East 30th and East Street. There's going to be two stages of food that's along the president of OCA. She's a head of inner committee, so she busts her butt making sure that there is diversity and different types of food being served in the food court. So be sure to check that out. Um, she's also very particular. And this is good. She's really particular. And it's good for us who are on um, um, committee for making these decisions because it means that we sometimes need free food samples, which is awesome. I can speak personally that a lot of food vendors are going to have some amazing here. And of course, um, usually have Year. And this year, we decided to bring the Cleveland Asian Festival to the people. So we opened it up with a K-pop cover dance competition. And although the deadline has already passed, be sure to come, vote, and cheer on your favorite group. They will be competing live at the Cleveland Asian Festival on May 21st at 6 o'clock p.m. And all judges, judging things from the crowd response that make sure to cheer, their technique, their lightness to the cover, and overall creativity. You know, when it comes to them do their math and music and costume. If you're a fan of K-pop or you don't know what K-pop is, it's Korean hip-hop, and you want to check out more, make sure there on May 21st all day. And of course, the Cosplay 103 is going to be there. Be there to catch some cool cosplayers. Um, last year, I uh, did a really complex cosplay, and I kind of regret it because now the wings take up my entire business. It's this gray armor with these enormous gray wings. Yes, and I have trouble transporting them a lot. They, I, I, it's just me and the wings, and not, nobody else can fit in the car. It's, it's crazy. It's ridiculous. In fact, it doesn't even fit in my car. I have to drive my husband's hatchback. That's how impossible it is. So be sure you're there, and who knows? Maybe Urza will be there. Maybe there'll be another really exciting cosplay there this year. And we're trying to get the martial arts to do a routine as well. And uh, going back to the K-pop, if you are not entering the competition, make sure you come on the 22nd, and then we'll teach you how to do little K-pop moves. Uh, at the end of the day, there'll be a uh, K-pop random play. It's like the K-pop random play you see at K-Cons, and K-Cons are like Korean hip-hop conventions. And, uh, yeah, come and get your contemporary Asian groove on and do some hip-hop. Well, then, that concludes our events corner, and now we turn the attention back to Parvada. Hi, and, uh <laughs> Sorry about the technical difficulties, and to our listeners, thank you for bearing with us. But we were in the middle of a conversation about um, schooling in India and about, uh, you know, a work experience and hours and certificates, and we concluded that it was probably just something my husband's Indian co-workers had to do um, from their region of India because Parvata had never heard of it before. <laughs> So I guess my next question is, what made you choose your major and what made you choose to study in Tennessee? 
Um, the major I chose was because um, with all the boatload of assignments we had to do every day, biology is something I gravitated towards a lot. Um, and so it came easy to me and it, you know, it, it spiked my interest, so to speak, although I had no idea what I'm going to do with a degree in biology. Mm -hmm. um, in India, um, I joined a program which I did not realize when I joined it that it is geared more towards training people for future research because I never had an idea of doing research in my life. Um, I started off um, aiming to be a medical doctor, but, you know, didn't make the grades to get, you know, uh, full scholarships. And without full scholarship, you're going to be in debt for the rest of your life. So I didn't want to do that. Um, and then, you know, of all the entrance exams I had, um, this particular university in uh, Trichirapalli, it's called uh, Trichy for short, um, you know, uh, gave me admission into their integrated uh, master's program. So went from my um, high school into a master's program. And uh, it was it's a contracted one. It's five years long instead of the six years it would usually take, you know, for a bachelor's and a master's. Um, and then while I was in the program, I realized that um, to do uh, well in a career, in the field, I do need to have some kind of research under my belt. Um, and there was a professor from Tennessee Tech who visited um, the university I went to is called Bharatadasan University. So uh, he was a Fulbright scholar there. So he attended as a Fulbright scholar and gave some information about um, studies abroad. And it, to me at that point, it just seemed feasible that, you know, it, 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 he laid out the pathway. So it made it much more, I think, realistic for me. And I weighed my options. And at that time, I realized it was much more easier uh, getting into a graduate program here <laughs> in the US than in India. So I thought, okay, I'm going to give this a shot, you know, so um, and I did. And Tennessee Tech gave me a full scholarship and assistantship. And I said, okay, then I'm, you know, <laughs> taking it up. And that's how I landed at Tennessee Tech because they gave me a scholarship, you know? Yeah. Well, that's absolutely amazing. Yeah. I, um, you know, I actually, I hear very similar stories with a couple of people I've interviewed and just people I've spoken with. Um, cause you know, I, I still do things with Cleveland state and my alma mater for my undergrad was Kent state. And I still talk to a lot of, uh, at foreign, um, what do you call them? It's been, I've been out of college for so long. So students there that are coming uh -huh. from abroad and a lot uh -huh. of them are like, yeah, it was so much easier to get, you know, a scholarship and to get accepted into a university here than it was in China. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, I'm assuming it's the same in India. It is. It is. Um, in, in, at least, um, when I was there, you have to, uh, take these national exams and then you place somewhere in some percentile and then there are different sources of funding for each lab. So let's say I'm running a lab and I'm funded through uh, source A. Then the student who took these exams needed to be qualified to receive fun funds from source A. And so I have to figure out which lab is getting funded by whom, and then I apply. And then from what I've heard, it's a lengthy interview process. And and it's it's a race that just exhausted me just listening to it. Oh, <laughs> you know? wow. so, um, so I checked into it and I said, so you want me to take three different exams? Okay. And then what? <laughs> <laughs> you know? And then I need to pay application fee in uh, American dollars. Okay, fine. And, you know, and as long as I get a scholarship, I will make it. So, it, um, and that's what happened. So, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm I'm actually surprised because I know uh, India has a lot of, um, at least IT from what I know from my husband's mm -hmm. company. And mm -hmm. there is a lot of um, engineering done over there. And I, I just, mm -hmm. and it's not, I mean, I speak about China because I have relatives there and friends there who still mm -hmm. fill me in. And mm -hmm. it's the same thing in China. I'm surprised that they don't actually have ways of, of uh, letting in more students. I mean, I think it's very competitive. That's what it is, is you know, so? uh, as you move up in your graduate studies and, you know, um, they have a research level called the uh, Masters of Philosophy instead of the Doctor of Philosophy. After you finish your master's, you could either go straight into doctor of philosophy programs or you could go into Masters of Philosophy, you know, and you can see the decline in, 
uh, number of students. A, I don't think people stick around that long. And B, I think it's also very, very um, competitive. Um, and, um, and I can see why, but, you know, um, I think it's, it's also, um, I think the motivation is also, it's something exotic to want to travel abroad. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a risky business anyway, trying to do a PhD because you have no idea how long it's going to take for your particular research work. And so, um, seeing someone from this country, come to India and, you know, uh, present um, what U.S. is all about, I think took away that um, element of fear about the unknown, you know? I mean, Mm -hmm. you do watch uh, things about America on movie, but any person with common sense knows that that's that's (laughs) fantasy Uh, so you you really don't know okay what do I do first what do I do second what are the steps in this process and so once you know okay these are the steps and I have to do them in in this order and I need to make so much grade that I knew how to do you know so I didn't study for an exam make a grade so and I did it and I I really didn't think about, so what then, you know, you go to US and if you can't finish this program within the five years for which I'm given the visa, student visa, what happens then? I think I kind of like threw caution to the wind there and just came. And also many Indians have uh, traveled to US before. So I think that also makes it a little easier to think about uh, you being successful or managing once you get there. And like I said, Tennessee Tech is is a university town, you know, so you're we're kind of insulated from the real world, so to speak, you know, so yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, so that made it easy, and I think I still live in a very insulated world because I've never gotten out of academia, mm-hmm. and so when I do venture out, I get really surprised by I think things, and I go right back to familiar zone <laughs> again, so I- yeah. I grew up in a very insulated world as well, uh, mostly uh-huh. because my parents and, you know, they're immigrants. My, my father did the same thing. He came here for his PhD. Yeah. And my mother, she was actually working on her master's. Um, she never finished because we, we got in a pretty bad car accident when I was 14 and she was handicapped. So she's like, oh, well, I guess I'm not going to get that master's. Mm-hmm. So, But they've always been a very um, acad- academics-focused family. Uh, I have very mm-hmm. academic-focused parents. But... Mm-hmm. Here's the funny thing. My mother was the only engineer in her family of all boys, except for her. She was the only girl. And all (laughs) of her brothers were artists. Granted, some of them studied botany, one studied architecture. Mm -hmm. But they they ended up opening an interior design firm, and they Mm -hmm. all painted. They're all amazing painters and sketch artists. Mm -hmm. I I like to think I take after them, but I don't have nearly as much experience. Oh, you are talented. Stop it. No, I, I just... Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I, I, I like to think I'm I'm pretty good, but I'm not compare. I compare myself to my uncles, but they're like these yeah. phenomenal artists. So so anyway, <laughs> I completely forgot where I was going with this. Oh, yes. I live in a very insulated world because my parents were scientists and they told me I was supposed to be a scientist. But I thought mm. it took more after the uncles on my mother's side. And I had a loss of identity for a large part of my early life. I I was good at science and I enjoyed science and math. I was good compared to my classmates, but not good enough to my parents' standards. (laughs) They were like, you need to do calculus in sixth grade. I'm like, what? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you just but, you didn't know, see you know, yourself, huh? Yeah, I just, um, I, you know, part of it was I didn't understand why I had to push myself when my classmates didn't have to. And they didn't have to, yes. Uh-huh. Right. A culture and your environment has a lot to do with Absolutely. how your perspective of what you need to do with your life is shaped, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and I see those uh, differences um, here in my teaching because again, I have never taught in India, but I have been a student in India. So Mm. coming here, going to school here, of course, graduate program is very different from undergraduate programs, you know, so and also community college setup is much different. And I work at a community college. So I I still kind of grapple with, I think, the cultural outlook of what education needs to be used for. And I see the uh, pros and cons of, I think, different viewpoints but yeah yeah so I can see why in the U.S. you would sit there and go I am not going to follow your footsteps right and they were (laughs) not very happy with it so it kind of led them (laughs) to kind of control my social circle and and I grew up in a very protected world and when I went to college and 
mm-hmm. know, I'm at the point where I'm like, I like to throw caution to the wind. Uh-huh. But, you know, at the same time, I'm kind of glad my parents gave me a lot of discipline as a child because right. unlike, a, okay, I, most people I know do pay their bills on time. But unlike some people I grew up around, <laughs> they never had the priority to, like, have to pay their bills first before they go on vacation right. or to buy the new record. Whereas, yeah. you know, I grew up t- being told that these things need to happen first. But at the same time, I still balance it with, you know, as you say, throwing caution to the wind and just doing mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't, I you know, life's short. <laughs> it's a nice balance, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. To, mm-hmm. to not be broke and to also be able to do things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I have been broke before. Not very nice. Uh, I, I've, I've lived out of my oh, car. I have I been broke before, too. Oh, it's yeah. not very nice at all. I know. I know. <laughs> it gives you a drive to finish things, you know, you started. So, Especially yeah. school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I saw some amazing photos, especially the the coconut uh, skin, the coconut butter. Oh yes, yes. Only uh-huh. the latest trip to India. Yes. Uh, well, I make a trip every year to India. So my parents and my younger sister live in India. So um, I make a trip during our uh, regular Christmas break because that's the longest uh, break I get without having to use my personal hours um, and all those cool things that comes with a salary job, I guess. Um, and then when I do go to India, my main goal is to spend time with my parents you know so mo- many people think that I travel a lot when I go to India and and usually they're surprised when I tell them no I, I just stay home and you know spend time with mom and dad and they want to know why and and for me I'm like because when I go to India my parents are exotic to me right now because <laughs> I don't see them you know uh, about 11 and a half months out of a year so that is my priority and so I go with a list of things that I need my mom to make for me and things that we don't get here like fruits and coconuts and so on and so forth and so I put the bug in my parents' years starting in, oh, October, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it started a little early this year. So I said, mom, would you please make me that when I come to India? And the answer is always yes. <laughs> um, last year was the only year my dad said no to something I asked. I think it was some kind of fish I asked them. And he said, <laughs> do you know we don't get it here locally? It gets shipped from somewhere. So it's not going to be fresh. And he was so upset that I still said, I want it and finally I said you know what if he insists so much I'm gonna say okay to it so (laughs) and yeah because I keep telling them oh uh, this is me taking it out on a tangent right about things Mm. that are different in (laughs) India when you buy fish people would go to a fish market and poke at the fish if the fish has been on um ice so to speak for very long it would be kind of squishy and then they either decide whether to buy the fish or drive the price down a lot Mm-hmm. Um, so in India, everything is fresh, right? Like meat mm-hmm. products are. People won't touch anything that's been frozen. So um, I had the shock of my life when I saw trays of chicken breasts and chicken thighs. And I was like, why do they go through all this trouble separating out body parts? You know, mm-hmm. they just cut up the whole chicken and put it in. <laughs> hey, what's going on here? And then frozen fish of all. Uh, and there's no bone on it. So the first time I called my mom, I said, I just need you to know, um, you know, how good you people have. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I said, you know, you won't even touch a day uh, frozen, you know, a fish that's been frozen for just 24 hours here. I don't even know when that thing got frozen. So right. I eat it. Oh and, God. you know, and um they, there is no concept of iced tea in the place where I come from in India. So uh, when I heard iced tea here for a long time, I would turn my nose up yeah. and reject it. <laughs> is it true that in India they don't really drink anything cold either? I'm, I'm okay. Let me. They, they have cold drinks, but I a tea I don't think is one yeah. of them that they drink. You know, iced. And my mom is a big snob when it comes to uh, lukewarm tea. You have to make a tea the right strength and then serve it when it's piping hot Mm -hmm. and if it goes cold my mom would go who are you trying to wake up with this you know so I'm (laughs) like mother just drink it right that kind of deal (laughs) so I told her listen they not only drink cold tea here they actually make it cold by putting ice cubes (laughs) 
Well, you know, I, I only know about Darjeeling tea from India. What other types of tea are there? Oh, though, though, that's pretty much the only tea uh, that's famous in India. You know, it's mm-hmm. those, one of those black, dark uh, mm-hmm. tea dust. It's really not tea leaves, you know. Um, and you must look for the brand called Three Roses. Um, if you see an Asian market, so that's the kind of tea that South India is used to when we drink it the British way with milk in it. It's too strong. You can't drink it without milk or cream in it. And it's exactly like what we call chai tea here, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. it's, it's kind of like a little hot and you could either make it with spices or just drink the tea itself. So um, when I got introduced to other forms of tea, you know, like chamomile tea, I didn't even know what chamomile <laughs> was. And then I'm wondering why people make tea out of it, you know. <laughs> so I had to learn a lot about tea when I came here. So, yeah, I still prefer the strong forms, but I'm kind of used to the other forms of tea now. So I think yeah. I, I wrote it down. Three roses, Darjeeling. Three I'm going to try it. <laughs> I mean, I drink all kinds of tea from like rose hips. And I know that um, there's different types of teas i mean it's all camellia sinensis unless it's a flower tea mm-hmm. um yes i'm the dork that knows the scientific name for for tea leaves camellia sinensis so <laughs> so i know that you know white tea is when you pick it before it's completely ripened and then right, green right. and then mm-hmm. green tea and then when it's red tea it's oxidized and black tea is when it's fermented and stored for years right um and yeah. the funny story was that Red tea originated because when they would ship it all the way around Africa to take uh, from Asia all the way down past Africa to get to England, that by the time mm. it arrived there, it would be red. It would have oxidized already. And uh-huh. that's that's why, you know, British tea is different. Um, uh-huh. And then black tea was fermented to store good years of tea and mm. to bring out a certain healing or medicinal qualities like they're minor though i can't remember maybe johnny should drink some for his stomach i'm thinking but <laughs> i hope you didn't hear that <laughs> but but yeah i know that there's black teas with medicinal quality um i actually have some in my cabinets over mm. 10 years old but it should mm. still be good and it's mm. actually for you know stomach because i used to have stomach problems before i learned mm. that you know i was eating non-organic food and all the other stuff and i live with vegans for a while who totally put me on the right track but that's a different story. <laughs> so Vegans tend to do that. Yeah, they're they're awesome. awesome. Mm-hmm. They, they absolutely are. And well, okay, I I hate to you know try to put people in categories, but I've noticed there are different types of vegans. The ones who say they are because it's cool and hip, and the ones who do it because they didn't. There's just one man who wrote a book about slaughterhouses, and it kind of scarred some people. And the people who do it naturally because you know they really do love animals, and they really mm-hmm. do want to take care of their bodies. So mm-hmm. I call some fake vegans so vegans and some of them are like real vegans so they're <laughs> vegans so, but you know don't don't tell any of my friends i, I categorize them <laughs> no, all my friends are the real vegans in my opinion but <laughs> yeah um well, I think yeah it's a social stand that, that's how i see i see veganism you know it's it's a social philosophical stand more than a diet um and you know it it springs from at least the vegans i know um in wanting to treat animals well, you know what I mean? So um, if diet is one of the ways to do it, so be it kind of. And I think some people, like you said, take up veganism because maybe it's the trendy thing to do, mm-hmm. right? Because it's just like any other diet program. I think, you know, you go on Atkins and you go on this and that because you're <laughs> thinking maybe that's the miracle cure. And I think most people fail in all of that because it's a lifestyle change and your philosophy has to fire it. So I think the successful ones have such philosophical strength mm-hmm. uh, and motive behind what they're doing. They just find ways um, to make it fit into their existing lifestyle. I should also like, say that um, some of the fake vegans I know eat milk chocolate. Uh, <laughs> You're not supposed <laughs> to eat milk chocolate. Yeah. And they also eat uh, imitation crab meat because they don't think it's made from any form because it's imitation. I'm like, oh, it's, it's still, still fish, is it not? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, no, it's not. It's imitation. I'm like, no, it's, it's uh, you don't want to eat that. It's so, <laughs> so uh, you know, thankfully, um, I know the difference and I'm I'm not vegan, but during the time I lived with vegan roommates, I, I kind of did. I kind of mm-hmm. was. And it was gradual too. I mean, they warned me They're like, you can't just do it automatically. Mm-hmm. You know, they did eight years of like different stages of vegetarianism before they mm-hmm. completely mm-hmm. vegan. They vegans. Yeah. 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 Because I mean, it's, first yeah. of all, it's easy to quit. It's like trying to quit right. cold turkey. 
And then, you know, and second of all, it's bad for your body. It can go to shock. Mm-hmm. You don't want that to happen. Especially, I think, American culture is is built so much around animal products. You know, it's kind of hard to mm-hmm. walk away from it, I guess. Because one of my vegan friends, I used to, um, when I became familiar with what veganism is, and she would tell me, and I would look at her and go, Kim, I can make you most things in Indian food and it'll be vegan for you because I didn't even think about, you know, what they would call vegetarianism in India. Of course, they use uh, yogurt and milk products, you know, but right. um, no eggs or meat or fish. Um, so I, I told her if I don't use yogurt to thicken the sauces and use coconut milk, which is what they do in um, southern part of India, mm-hmm. because coconut is very freely available, you know, so that's the Mm -hmm. cream they use for bases. In northern half of India, it's a lot of milk-based creams, you know, so that's basic difference. Um, And she was always kind of like um, surprised by it. (laughs) And I always thought if I could become a vegan, just diet-wise, I could because... yeah, it's it's been a while since I have eaten meat on a regular basis because I need meat made a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe the way meat uh, animals are raised here, I always tell my mom, it just does not taste the way you make it. You know, I know. vegetables, I can make it taste the way she makes it, but meat, I cannot. So, yeah, yeah so it, it I kind actually... of like... Even yeah. vegetables too, sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's not the spices, I mean... You know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it's even the spices because I was telling mom, you know, it dawned on me, the cinnamon and cloves, those are some expensive spices, you know, for people mm-hmm. in India. So she buys them in really small batches and use them sparingly. I buy them in these huge, bloody big bags <laughs> and they're just sitting in the pantry and I'm going, I think those oils are just going rancid, you know, <laughs> and it's not imparting, imparting the same taste that uh, but yeah, I grapple with it. So it's easier for me to work with vegetables than with meats because it needs to be fixed a certain way. Otherwise, all, you know, bets are off kind of. Um, so I kind of stay off meat just because it it's a lot more work for me, you know, mm-hmm. um, to, to make it right than vegetables are. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one of the things, one of my favorite dishes when I was in um, central and kind of southeast central China, it was <laughs> in the province of Yunnan, and my parents took me there with my siblings for a vacation one year, and we had mountain chicken, and it was amazing. It tasted amazing, and mm. you know the thing was with this these chickens, they have three times as many bones as like the hens that we oh, have yes. here. Oh yeah, it's, yes, it's yes. insane. But the yes. flavor was amazing. Yes, and mm. uh, and something else I learned from my father as an engineer, he was talking about uh, a structure he designed that was supposed to be buried underground, and mm. it wasn't his department. But he gave the uh, director of the other department his suggestion, like, "Oh yeah, we're we're just gonna have my people do it." And their structure failed. And my dad's like, "Here, I told you before, you're supposed to make it egg shaped." I'm like, "But eggs break." He's like, "No, no, no. Have you ever tried to break an egg <laughs> from a wild chicken?" laid out in the wild he's like you mm. can't break those things you have to mm-hmm. smash it really really hard with a hammer mm. so that's the first time I learned that there really is a difference when it comes difference, to yeah. the food mm-hmm. that you eat in the environment that you're in mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it just I was because you know everybody think of eggs was like oh you have to set them down gently they're fragile but yep. no apparently if yep. they're in the wild they're they're extremely hardy like you can't mm. you can't break it with your bare hand just by squeezing them Hmm. I've never come across a while, or at least I have, but I've never tried to break it, you know, so um, (laughs) I can't, I can't either say uh, validate it or invalidate that. But yes, in terms of how uh, the flavors vary, right, even in India, as um, less farmed those chickens are, we do get farmed chickens in India, you know, and farm Mm -hmm. goats in India, but not nearly as um, industrialized as I think we have them here. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when they um, had um, what we would call wild chicken, you know, mm. um, you could make it with half the number of spices, different kinds of spices uh, you use for the regular, what they call broiler chicken, mm-hmm. you know, and it just has its own flavor and it's it's just amazing. So yeah, yeah. 
Oh, and the mountain chickens too. Something、mm-hmm. about the air and the mountain. It's it's you can actually taste the difference in the flavor. You know,、mm-hmm. everybody says you know it tastes like chicken, but my question is, what kind of chicken? You know, <laughs> what kind of chicken? Exactly. Because chickens in different regions, <laughs> different altitudes, they all taste different, and right, you know, spices. Right. And the here's the thing: like when I was younger, when I was in college, one of my favorite dishes was spicy beef noodle soup from Sichuan, Sichuan、mm-hmm. or Sichuan、mm-hmm. here.、Mm-hmm. And I tried so hard to replicate it here. I even bought the specific spices from that region of China to America, and、mm-hmm. I bought noodles that were from the similar region, and they tasted the same. But、mm-hmm. I just couldn't get the beef to taste the same, and I was really disappointed because it was just—it was so delicious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you know, I got the spiciness, and it, it kind of tied me over. I just there you go. I was like, I just have to go visit that area of China every year to eat my fill. <laughs> you should so do it. That should be your excuse for it. Oh my god! Why、goodness. not? I want a soup. So I'm going to go all the way to China to do it. Hey, if you're ever going, let me know. I will take you around. I've traveled to most of the tourism spots. Awesome. With my、I'll、family, <laughs> I'm not even kidding you. Oh yeah, I'm serious too. I love traveling. Um,、awesome. I think I've been there about anywhere between twelve to fifteen times over the summer, and I, at least more than half of them, I want to say like seven or eight of them, my parents took us on actual tourist trips around there. So I'd be willing to go again. My husband、uh-huh. says he wants to go. Does your family still live there? Um, my parents no. My parents live about seven minutes down the road from me. Uh huh. <laughs> the rest of your extended family. Does anybody still live there? Yes, all of them. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. And、uh, there's this nifty little app on our phone called WeChat, and、okay. it's how I stay in contact, and it、nice. actually keeps my Chinese language skills very up to par. Very good. That's no good. Yeah. <laughs> but if yeah. I were to have to write it with a pencil, I might not remember. There's this、uh-huh. thing in Chinese called、um, romanticize. Or, Romanticization. Okay, I can't. I can't talk today.、Uh-huh. <laughs> It's called peeing, and what it is, it takes Roman letters,、uh-huh. and you pretty much spell out the sound of the characters, and then it populates on this little mini screen, and you select which character you want. And、oh. that has really taken away from my memorization of the different strokes that make up a character.、Mm-hmm. But at least with the help of a computer, I can portray my thoughts very clearly. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there, there you go. go. No kidding. When I first、uh, came to the U.S. the first year here. Um, when people said, "Oh, I forgot my mother tongue," because you know、um, I've been here four years, I used to think that they're just showing off, <laughs> you know. And and it's very true. If you don't use it, I speak with my parents in Tamil every weekend, you know, on our weekly calls. But sometimes you lo- lose the ability to write. So I would picture. Letters in my head and go through a mini panic attack in the middle of the night and start searching it on the internet. You know,、so. I do that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> um, so we are nearing the top of our hour. We kind of went over a little, uh, but that's okay. I hope we'll just have to let Johnny know when he edits this to put less music in. Um, so our last question that we ask all of our guests is, what is your favorite dish, Asian food, and would you cook it for us if we came to visit? I would absolutely cook it for you if you、yes. can visit. <laughs> I want you to come and visit anyway. But、um, well,、uh, in South India, in Tamil Nadu especially, they make this really thin、uh, brothy、uh, stew-like thing. It's called rasam. Rasam itself means it's just a. Uh, soup of something,、mm-hmm. and it's served as one of the last courses. It has a lot of, you know, yummy stuff in it, like garlic and cracked black pepper and cold stuff. So I mean, make some mean rasam, and also some really good chicken curry.、Yeah. It's a good combination with some steamed rice. <laughs> you know what? One of our previous guests has also said rasam soup. It was、yeah. either Antara or Kalyani. I can't remember. Uh huh. I, I want to say it's Kalyani because. I think she's also from South India. I cannot that remember. That sounds like a Tamil name. Yeah. Yeah. yeah? <laughs> okay, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, it's completely crazy because I had no idea you were Tamil, and I, you know, the Ava is working on his novel, and one、uh-huh. of her main characters. I was just researching different people, the、um, different descendants for another project I was working on, and、uh-huh. there is this Tamil model that appeared, and I thought she looked absolutely gorgeous, and I said, "Fine, I'm modeling one of my characters after her." And、mm-hmm. since then, it's surprising how many people I found out around me are actually of Tamil descent. There you go. That's the so, law of attraction. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. I wish I could stay and chat with you longer, but our radio show has ended.、Um, I've invited you to like our Facebook page, and for the listeners of this radio show, please check out OCA Asia Town Voice on Facebook and like our page. And we'll bring more voices with more choices to you. 
And thank you once again, Parvada, for... Thank you. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. I absolutely loved it. Thank you. No problem. And have a good night, ladies and gentlemen.